Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Waking Up to Narcissism. This is episode 46. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and host of the Virtual Couch Podcast. And today, back by very popular demand, we're taking on the third episode, I guess the, the trilogy, of Death by a Thousand Cuts. So I have so many examples that I've received over the past couple of months since we did part two, and I want to get to those right away. But first, just very quickly, if you are interested in participating in the Magnetic Marriage podcast recording, which is going to be anonymous couples coaching, there's still some time. We're still getting a few episodes recorded before that launches, and it's looking like the launch will be toward the end of this year if not worst case, beginning of next year. So if you want to know more about that, if you're interested in being a couple that wants to be coached on the podcast, reach out at info at tonyoverbay.com and somebody will get back to you. We have an application to fill out. And if you are just interested in hearing what couples coaching or couples therapy sounds like, I highly recommend this because it's going to be for less than the cost of one therapy session, you're going to have access to a year's worth of these coaching calls and so far, I promise you, there have been so many different issues and challenges and relationships that have popped up during the coaching calls that I feel like we're covering all the bases. And if you're just interested in subscribing to the podcast to listen to what a couple sounds like when they are being coached or going through therapy, just sign up at TonyOverbay.com and you'll be one of the first people to find out when that podcast is going to launch and how you get access. And you can still just go to tonyoverbay.com slash workshop, and there you will find a $19, it's about 90-minute workshop of everything you didn't know that you didn't know leading up to marriage and what that looks like in your relationship. I am still convinced that it's almost impossible for somebody to have the most effective, communicative, differentiated, interdependent, one plus one equals three marriage, unless you saw that perfectly in your childhood because again we just don't know what we don't know about how to show up in a relationship and if you listen to the virtual couch or i've referred so many times to my four pillars of a connected conversation here on waking up to narcissism that even though that is a framework and i believe in it after 12 1300 couples later of couples therapy it is still hard to implement and it is hard to get out of our own way in relationships so this workshop tonyoverbay.com workshop it will give you an idea of what a healthy relationship can look like. So let's get to the topic today. We're talking about death by a thousand cuts round three. And if you are not familiar with the concept of death by a thousand cuts, if you are in a relationship with an emotionally immature person or a narcissistic person or somebody with narcissistic traits and tendencies, whether that is your spouse, whether it's your boss, whether it's your adult children, whether it's your um, siblings, your neighbors, your uh, religious institution, whatever that looks like, when you try to explain what is so difficult about that relationship, if you often hear, yeah, but there's two sides to every story, or well, that really doesn't sound like a big deal, or well, what about all the wonderful things that he, she, it, they do for you, and you feel completely unheard, and you feel completely dismissed, oftentimes it's because 
It is just a lot of little tiny things that just eat away at you. So I often refer to that as it is the death by a thousand cuts in the relationship. And it's just things that just nag and grind you down over time. And if we want to look at the way that the body responds in those situations, truly the body keeps the score of trauma, of heartache, of frustration. So if you find yourself trying to even start a conversation and your heart rate starting to elevate and you realize that you are starting to go into almost this fight, flight, or freeze mode, or if you find that you have to just get aggressive and angry to make your point, and that is not who you are as a person, and that is more of the way that you show up in certain relationships or responding, then it's time to take a step back and just look at the overall dynamic of the relationship And are you continually hearing criticisms, little bits and pieces and things that are just eating at you? And are you in a relationship with somebody that just feels like, hey, I'm just saying, or I say something mean, but I'm just kidding. And over time, it's hard for you to even show up and have a conversation in those areas. Then I would take a look at this concept of death by a thousand cuts. And if you are someone who is waking up again to your own narcissistic traits or tendencies or emotional immaturity, then please listen to this and step outside of your ego. Again, the ego is there to protect us and we are listening to everything through our very own filter. So it can be really hard at times to sit outside of our ego of our own filter and truly try and understand what it is like for the person that we are in a relationship with. And if you continually find yourself saying, well, yeah, but then your ego is still getting in the way. So I like to say that if you can step outside of your ego, I like to picture it almost like you're sitting inside of a barrel And that barrel is your ego. It's this defensive nature. And and if you can step outside of your ego, you still need to be aware that I am viewing things outside of my ego. And so when people are talking about their experience, it is difficult, sometimes impossible, unless you have worked on this and been so aware of the fact that you are looking at things through your own experience, that it can be really difficult to listen to somebody else express how they feel the relationship is going or what your words mean to them. And I'm being very dramatic with the way I pronunciate this because it's your words and how they feel to them. It is their experience. And if we can learn to truly listen and learn to empathize, I mean, step one, that is their experience. And yeah, it might hurt. We might have a difficult time wanting to defend our fragile egos. Yeah, but I didn't mean that. Or, well, you shouldn't think that. Or how could you have thought that? None of those are going to lead to a connected conversation. And this can be one of the hardest things to let go of in a relationship is letting go of your own ego. And by that, I mean simply in order to be able to listen and empathize because we're on this role or this path to what's called differentiation. Differentiation is really being able to maintain your own autonomy while still being in a relationship with somebody. Differentiation means they're welcome to have their own opinion and it might even be a negative opinion toward you But if you're really doing the work, the self-care, the self-love, raising your emotional baseline, finding out the things that really matter to you, and then if somebody else is really struggling with that, like that affects them in a negative way, then honestly, bless their heart. Because the more that you stand up for yourself and figure out what matters to you, you are going to disrupt the relationship. And I'm not saying that isn't a horrific negative thing. It's just a fact because we fall into these codependent and meshed relationships where we take on these different roles. And when somebody finally says, I've had enough of the way that I show up, the role that I'm playing, I don't enjoy, then when they start to state their own opinions, then it is going to disrupt the relationship, whatever that relationship is. And so the other person is often going to start pushing buttons consciously, subconsciously. 
of, I never knew that, or, well, do you know how that affects me? Or, oh, you think you're all this, or whatever that looks like, because what they need is you to jump back into that same role that you play in the relationship because that makes them feel comfortable. So, man, I, I want to get to the death by a thousand cuts, but I could go on about that this is what we're working on. This is how an adult, a healthy adult relationship works. You can have love or you can have control. And, and love is empathy. Love is understanding. Love is I want the very best for my spouse and my partner. The fear, our emotional immaturity, the fear is that, oh my gosh, if they all of a sudden start wearing the things they like to wear and watching things they like to watch and doing things they like to do, then they may leave me. And so I need to get them back into this enmeshment. But in reality, it feels scary when both people in the relationship are starting to recognize the unhealthy patterns in the relationship and starting to choose something different. That, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be uncomfortable. This is where I talk so often about we're afraid of contention. So we avoid tension altogether. Tension is where the growth occurs. And of course, we are going to have different experiences. Early on in a relationship, things might just feel peachy and nice and keen and everything's great and unicorns and butterflies because you know, we'll figure things out. And if he or she says something that I never knew they felt that way, then we may give them a pass because it'll all be better later. But in reality, over time, by not being able to express ourselves and not having the tools to, we really do start to lose our sense of self. And then the other person can often feel like they are uh, in control or in charge, and then they will keep their spouse or their partner down by these thousand cuts when they start to just make these little criticisms, these little barbs, these little jabs. So I want you to be aware as we're going through these, if these are happening in your relationship, then um, it, it's not okay. It's, it's really not. Let me get to some examples. And I'm, I'm pulling primarily from the private women's Facebook group and everyone who I am giving their examples, we've either changed some of the details they, or they've given their permission to have this read on the podcast. So with that said, let me get into some of the examples. So the first example is a woman who said I had a realization about my housekeeping ability. He thinks I am an awful housekeeper and he tells me as such. And I feel like I am because I know where things go, but they don't make it there all the time. Then it dawned on me as I was staring at a pile of his shoes and then opened the closet where they should go and his closet was a jumbled mess. Why? Because instead of putting things in the closet all orderly, he just throws stuff in there. So when I open the closet to put the shoes in, I look at at least 15 minutes of mess of me having to pull out the jumble, reorganize and put the other shoes in rather than the one minute project. It could have been to get the shoes right in the closet as they come off the feet. And I didn't have 15 minutes to deal with the closet. So there the shoes sat in a pile on my floor. And she mentioned that the same thing happens in the kitchen. that it will shove things in places that they don't belong. So she said either, number one, I'm removing things to put them in their correct place. Or two, I spend tons of minutes looking for things in the kitchen just to do the cooking. And there were a couple other people that chimed in and said that they felt like this was the case in their relationship as well. And the reason why I wanted to start with this one is, quite frankly, if you listen to this and think, okay, so he isn't perfect. So he throws things in the closet. Who doesn't? Or who doesn't shove things in piles? The difference is the hypocritical nature. It's funny. When I was uh, starting to really work with this population of emotionally immature or narcissistic traits and tendencies, I loved showing what that would look like where the person would then, the guy in the situation would say, you know what, you're right. I am being hypocritical. And who am I to say that you keep a messy house when, look at my closet, I keep a messy closet. Now that's an emotionally mature conversation to have. But the challenge is we wouldn't be having this conversation if he was showing up emotionally mature in the relationship because he would not be putting her down for her housekeeping. He would understand that we're all human, we're all not perfect. And that would lead to more of, hey, how can I help? And that's a more emotionally mature way to handle things. But if you are waking up to your own narcissistic traits or tendencies, 
then in this scenario, it's what am I pretending not to know? The fact that, oh, yeah, I'm absolutely not the cleanest person in the world. And so therefore, why on earth am I picking on her? And let's start looking at emotional immaturity and let's start looking at the core of what that really means. So if he feels insecure about himself, then if he can then put her down, and we're not even talking about him taking ownership or accountability of his hypocritical nature, but if he can put her in the one down position, then he feels better. Now, if she then says, well, look at your shoes, then the the part about emotional immaturity, is he going to then, when faced with that question, say, you're right? Or is he going to say, well, I work all day. I've got a lot of things going on. And it would be a lot easier for me if I didn't have to come home and see the, the messy house. What am I supposed to do? Now, all of a sudden, I've got to help you clean up or I have to take care of things. And so I don't have time for my shoes. So if you are only cleaning the house, then maybe I would have time to clean up my shoes. So that's more of what these death by a thousand cuts examples start to look like. Another person followed up to her comment in the group and she said, my ex was the same way. I was the problem for the messy house. And now since we've been divorced, she said, my house is pretty much clean or at least cleaner than when he and I lived together. And the kids mentioned that his house is typically a disaster. And that just brought back so many memories of the couple's conversations that I've had where even when they, people have split or there's been even an intentional separation and now all of a sudden in this scenario, so I know that not all guys are the narcissists and not all uh, women are the pathologically kind. It can be the opposite way as well. But in those scenarios, it does the guy then say, oh my gosh, you're right. I realize now that that wasn't fair of me because I can barely keep the house or the apartment or wherever I'm living now clean. And that's one of those moments of uh, those aha moments or... Does he then say, well, what am I supposed to do now? You know, I, we had these defined roles and that was never my job. And now that I'm on my own, then I'm not, how can I be expected to do this? So is that person, the emotionally immature, taking on that victim stance? Or are they recognizing, oh man, I have been a hypocrite. And I wrote down when I was responding to some of these messages in the group that I did say that this is a good example and this touches on emotional immaturity. And earlier, a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation around one of the people who was waking up to their own emotional immaturity in their relationship. And I can very clearly, here's where I want to take ownership of this, remember myself throwing things in the sink or leaving things out on the counter. And unfortunately, this is the reality of it, not really even recognizing or thinking about what happens next. Is there a magical fairy that puts things back in the refrigerator or puts things in the dishwasher? Absolutely not. That was my wife. And so... Why on earth do I feel like is my time truly so valuable that those seconds that it would take to put something away, rinse something off, put something in the dishwasher, you know, was I uh, in the middle of curing cancer and so every second counted or did I just want to get back and watch TV or look on my phone or just do nothing? And did I expect that that was something that she should do? And I remember just feeling almost just so bad when I recognized that that is what emotional immaturity can look like in a relationship. And so from that day forward, then you will notice yourself wanting to not put something in the dishwasher or not put something back. And then that's where sometimes that internal battle can happen. And that's where growth occurs. And that's where it can be okay to take ownership and say, man, that's, yeah, I've done that. And so now I'm aware. I wasn't aware of what I wasn't aware of. Now I'm aware and I have to start taking action. So I thought that was just really powerful and a powerful example. The next example is I know that this is one that people are going to identify with. One person said, when we were married, I was known amongst family and friends for being a good cook. For the next five or so years, I was asked to cook for uh, church activities, social gatherings, and I always received compliments. 
But then little by little, the story became that I couldn't even prepare dinner well or on time and that he had to take that over too. He made dinner a few times, but to him, that meant he now did all of the cooking. There's that all or nothing black or white thinking. She said if he then helped with the laundry or if he helped with the child care, then he said that he had to do all of the laundry. He helped with all the child care. She said when he did cook, he would make his own versions of one of my celebrated dishes, but then we knew we had to praise him for his version. Then he took over another recipe and another, and for the last several years now, he is known as the chef in our family and at social events. He volunteers to cook alone at church conferences and camps where usually a couple would be asked, and now he takes off work and generously offers his time to bless him with his cooking. When he was caught cheating a couple of years ago, one of the leaders of their congregation said, well, maybe if he wasn't so stressed from having to do everything in your family all these years. And the reason I wanted to spend a little bit of time with this example is the cuts coming at the expense of taking over and taking credit for things that were initially strengths of the spouse. This is one of those things that I hear so often. And I said in the group, I commented that I feel like it's the ultimate power move for the narcissist or the emotionally mature to not only take over something, but then to confabulate the story that theirs is better than their spouse's. Because eventually the kind spouse knows that it really doesn't matter what they say. So they start to agree. Yep. Yeah. Your burned tasteless cookies truly are better than mine ever were. And this is in the family dynamic. Then if the, let's just call it the narcissist, but I always want to say the narcissist or the emotionally immature person. But if the narcissist then is asking the rest of the family, the kids, isn't this better than your mom's? What an awkward position to put kids in. And if the kids know that we have to keep dad happy in these situations, or now he will then make sure that we feel his wrath or his negativity, then the kids are saying, yeah, yeah, dad, it's great. And then he just now gets to even look at his spouse more and say, see, even the kids agree. And why I talk about that almost as the ultimate narcissist power move is because if you are in one of these types of relationships, you will often see that the, the narcissist will eventually confabulate a story that they're the ones that were the hero or they're the ones that got you into whatever the successful thing was, or you couldn't have done it if it hadn't been for them, or you may do it, but remember, they always do it better. And I feel like to those that are listening right now, that really will resonate. For those that aren't, it's going to sound like probably this doesn't make much sense. But I have had examples of people taking over. I remember one, and I think I talked about this on an earlier episode, but I was working with a couple and the couple had been married for over 30 years. And then the, the wife at one point said, hey, the story that he told you about his big rodeo days never happened. That was me. And I put away the newspaper articles from back in the day that talked about it because those eventually didn't even matter because it was him that was the rodeo champ, not me. When in reality, he had never been on a horse until sometime in the mid-30s when they had been on a, a vacation to a dude ranch. So it is just so fascinating, too. One of the other people commented and said that really must be a, a narcissistic thing because she said her ex did it, too. His house is a way bigger mess than mine is now, and he has nobody that lives with him um, besides every now and again her kids being there part-time. And then she has uh, now seven or eight people living in the house, and he still has the moving boxes on his front porch. But she was always told that she was the messy one. Okay, this next one, the person goes into a, a few details, and they said that I am absolutely free to use this example because I think this one is a powerful example. She said, my ex would tell me how much the fact that I played the piano didn't matter. I'd taken lessons for 12 years and I played it for many beyond that for our church and community. One night we went to an orchestra concert for his mom to listen to her play the violin. After it was all over, we had to meet the conductor so he could tell us how amazing my ex-mother-in-law was at the violin. 
The conductor was introduced to our family and asked my ex if our family was musical. He responded with, oh yeah, I played the guitar. She said he could play one song with a repeating five-note melody that he had learned off of a DVD. She said, I waited for him to mention that I played the piano, but of course he didn't. And on the ride home, I asked him why he didn't mention it. And he said, because I don't consider the piano a real talent. She said, I wish I would have stood up for myself back then, but I didn't. And I just let it chip away at me. We talk about the, the cuts, right? She said that later when he cheated on me, he bought me a baby grand piano. She said, I didn't know about the cheating yet. So I was thrilled with the piano. And I thought he might actually start recognizing my playing as the talent it was. But my parents came to visit and asked me to play them a song. And I started to play and he walked up behind me and put his hands on my shoulders and proceeded to point out every time I made a tiny mistake in front of everybody because he could read music. She said, I was so humiliated in front of my family that I just wanted to cry. I started to play only when people weren't around. When I did finally find out about the cheating, I sold the piano first thing. Now, seven years post-divorce and 11 from the baby grand experience, I've learned to love my talent again. I'm not as good as I once was, but it is a talent and I'm proud of it. I even volunteer at a local hospital to play the piano in the lobby once a week. And I love that. I love when you see somebody playing the piano just voluntarily at a, at a old folks home or at a store or wherever that is. She said, I still get angry though when I think of how I let him take that from me. But honestly, he's still probably strumming the one five note song on his guitar thinking he's a rock star. And she said, feel free to use this if you want. And I, I love that example of triumph. But of course, it breaks your heart to see that somebody acquiesce or give in because the narcissist needed to take that one-up position and completely devalued their spouse's talent. There is zero reason for anybody to devalue someone's talent in a relationship in, in general, in life, <laughs> as I start to back out of that. But why on earth is it okay for somebody to put down someone else's talent or ability we need to have a no scarcity mindset, especially in a relationship. If somebody can play the piano, then that's amazing. And I want to hear them play the piano more. And if I can only strum one thing on a guitar, then I need to take ownership of the fact that I do not have the talent or I have not spent the time that that person who can play amazing things on the piano has. Here was an example of how quickly a cut can come, but how powerful and deep it can be. One person shared simply, my mom told me several years ago, you never did live up to my expectations, but I love you anyway. And I just said, man, passive aggressive, backhanded compliments. Aren't they just so motivating? I mean, there's nothing motivating about that. And you, as a complete separate person, human being, and entity, didn't live up to my expectations. That's the one where I want to say, okay, well, those are words coming out of your mouth. But they're, your expectations of me are, I guess, just simply that. But I have to find my own path. And I feel like that cut, and especially coming from an, an adult human being to their adult child, is just mind-blowing to me. But I hear those so often. Somebody else said, and I, I so appreciate this, they said, and this probably sounds so petty, but it's something that I didn't realize bothered me so much until many years later. I did all of the cooking for our family, and he would always make suggestions to better all of my recipes. It's good, but it would be better if, or, you know, my mom or my grandma always did it this way, and it was so much better. Always a little cut to almost everything I did. One evening, I made some chicken dish and he said it was really dry. I told him my piece was really good and tender and he then proceeded to choke on the bite of chicken he was eating. He then started choking out the words water. So I ran to the sink to get him a glass of water and then he choked out bottled water. He was sitting closer to the sink than I was and he just wanted to prove that it was dry and apparently only bottled water would do. And if you are not someone who has been in an emotionally immature relationship, I know that this can sound almost made up or dramatic, but it's not. 
And if you're somebody that is in an emotionally immature relationship, then I can imagine you've had similar experiences. Again, these little cuts. She then went on to say, I did the grocery shopping for our whole family. One particular time he'd asked for apples. She said, I got every single thing on the list except apples. And I forgot she was being a human being. He was so upset. He stated that I didn't care about him. Everybody else is more important than me. The one thing he really wanted, he didn't get. All he wanted was apples. I could go on and on about how many times I hear from the emotionally immature. The the only thing I really wanted was fill in the blank. And it's whatever it was that you weren't even aware of that you didn't do. Or it's something that you were aware of and you were a human and you forgot, which is something that human beings do. So then she said that he was so upset. He stated again, I didn't care about him. Everybody else is more important. The one thing he really wanted was the apples. And she said, I continued to feel bad. The next day I went to the grocery store again and I got apples. And since they were so important, but then they were never eaten and they rotted in the fruit bowl. Another instance, I had a random day off of work and rearranged the furniture in the living room, deep clean, put up some new decorations, made his favorite meal. She said I had music playing in the background. I was so excited for him to get home from work. During this time in our lives, I decided that I was going to do everything I could. I was going to be the very best partner. And that would change the relationship, that that would make things different. I needed the change to be me in order to change us. She said when he entered the house, his exact words were, well, you finally figured out how to put together a room and decorate. And she said, I was just crushed. She said, I love making homemade gifts and especially for holidays like Valentine's Day. She said, it's my thing. He often said he didn't feel loved by me. So one year I went big. She said, I asked moms from a worldwide mom group that I'm in to hold up a sign with a cool scene in the background. And only the sign and background were visible in each of the photos. The sign said that her love for you was so big it can be reached from and wherever the place was that they were from around the world. As soon as he opened it, he saw people holding the signs and the pictures. And he said, well, what is this? That is creepy. She said whenever we would have any type of conflict, he would always tell me that I approached it wrong. If I would have brought it up at a different time or I would have used a different tone or if I would have said different words that things would not have escalated. So she said, for years, I tried to find the perfect way to approach him about anything. I read so many books and articles on communicating with your partner. She said, it didn't help. I never figured out the puzzle to avoid conflict. She said, in the end, I ended up telling him I felt like a speck of sand. But she said, now I no longer feel like a speck of sand. And not trying to plug anything, but going back to people not having a framework to communicate in my four pillars, I talk about the pillar number one, the assuming good intentions, or there's a reason why people are doing or saying the things they're doing. Now, I'm not saying that she needed to do that for him in this scenario. This is where I say to the emotionally immature person, because the woman in this scenario, as she even said, I tried to figure out the puzzle to avoid conflict. And you're not going to because he would then have to take ownership of his own emotional immaturity. So this is where I'm saying to him that when he's saying you never approached it right, I mean, again, never ending battle. You will not find the way to cause him to have that aha moment or that epiphany. It has to come from him. He has to have that waking up. And that's where I'm saying to somebody right now, if you're listening to this and you're starting to wake up to your own narcissistic traits and tendencies, and and you continually are saying, nope, if you would have said this, if you would have done this, if you would approach this differently, whatever that looked like, then maybe we could talk. You're holding all the cards. And control or love, which one do you want? If you're coming from a place of love, then you appreciate the fact that your partner is trying their best to show up and and have more adult, mature conversations. But if you're the one that is saying, no, you're not doing it right, and you have to go figure out how to do it right, I shouldn't have to tell you, yeah, you should. You really should. And then you have to take ownership and be accountable. There are so many comments from that example of people just saying, I have so many similar experiences. And she said, it's so sad that so many of us share similar experiences. And she said, now the more that she's waking up, it's hard to imagine 
that she thought that this was normal life, that all of these experiences that we talk about in these death by a thousand cuts episodes are so common, but they are not okay. They're not how a relationship needs to be. I commented in the group and said, they aren't petty at all. These are examples of all of the little cuts. Okay. I feel like we can do a little bit of speed round now because I realize I have so many examples and yes, I will have a episode four and a part five and a part six, I'm sure in the not too distant future. But I think you get the point that when I want to jump in and comment that I want to say that every one of these matters and truly nobody deserves to be just picked apart in their relationship. So I'm just going to read a few more. Here we go. One person said it was a fall morning. It was a little bit chilly and my daughters and I had a dance class. We had a little extra time. So we stopped to pick up a couple of things before the class started. After paying for my order, I realized I had locked my keys in the car. I called my husband at work to let him know and just to seek support because I was upset. My daughters were in dance clothes. It was a little bit chilly. We were in a parking lot waiting on a locksmith. And instead of this being an opportunity for him to say, I am so sorry, can I do anything to help? Or even if he's in a position, can he go and, and help or rescue he said, and again, instead of saying everybody makes mistakes, he sighed gruffly and said, well, uh, while I have you on the phone, let's talk about some of the money that you've been spending because this is obviously going to cost money with a locksmith. And if you wouldn't have done that, it wouldn't cost money. And so I've noticed that there's a lot of spending that we haven't talked about and proceeded to berate her about credit card expenses. So these are the things that these opportunities for connection or for growth or to be there or to support and to provide this secure attachment between couples. And instead, emotionally mature person looks at this as here's my opportunity while they're down to, to really try to hammer home a point, which is just not the way that a healthy relationship works. And here's one that I think was covered on some of the earlier Death by a Thousand Cuts episode. But one person commented on how their spouse is super rude to salespeople or will storm out of a store when somebody tries to talk to them like at a furniture store. And leaves her then trotting along behind because he's already halfway to the car in a rage. And all she wants to do is apologize to the poor person who got the worst of him at that moment. Because in other situations, people have reported to me that it is only in those situations outside of the home where he is this charming, magnanimous person. And I believe I've shared in the past that that is because sometimes the emotionally immature person will feel like the only people that care about me are anyone outside of my family. And instead of looking at that as what am I, how am I showing up in the family? They look at that as obviously my family doesn't understand me, doesn't care about me, doesn't get me. But then the people in my work or my church or in these other social settings do. So in this scenario... And she talked about how dining out then becomes the opposite of relaxing because she's always on high alert because she doesn't want to experience some sort of humiliating scene with him acting like, as she says, an entitled toddler. So she tries to avoid eating out or going shopping with him. But she said, I think the cuts that add up the most are actually when he's harsh or unreasonable or unpredictable with the kids, small things. She said she gave an example of him promising to bake something with one of the daughters on a Saturday. And she was very excited about it. By 9.30, she was asking me when she thought that dad would wake up and when they could start baking. And he wasn't up yet. In fact, he ends up not coming downstairs till afternoon. And so obviously by then she had found other things to do. But around 4.30, then she came downstairs and she brought it up again, asking about baking. And he said, you know, I've been sitting here all along and you were doing these other things. And now it's too late. She was so disappointed. And this woman said that was before she really understood what gaslighting was. And she said, those are the things that have happened so many times with the kids and that those cuts really keep hurting. And I think that concept of inconsistency and then without taking ownership or accountability are what can be so devastating, not only to a spouse, but also to the kids. That if how often has a spouse, and again, male or female, 
said, yeah, we'll do that this weekend. And then they don't remember, they don't jot that down. Or when the kid then has been looking forward to doing whatever that was. And I would much rather have an an emotionally mature person in that scenario if the kid brings that up to say, oh my gosh, you are right. I forgot about that. And either let's make that work now or let's get a rain check, but I'm going to follow through and let's talk about this more. Or if the person, the emotionally mature person may in a moment promise to do the baking on Saturday because they want their kid to jump up and down and say, you're the best dad, but with no intention. Is there truly an intention to then bake on Saturday? And so that's where if I'm working with uh, somebody that's trying to wake up to their own emotional immaturity or narcissistic traits and tendencies, that I feel like these are those areas that the aha or the awakening need to happen of times where I say something in a moment because maybe I do want people to think that I'm the world's greatest dad in that moment. But then do I have the the true intention of following through or am I just saying that in the moment because I don't want to feel uncomfortable or because I want people to like me? So I think that those are things that can be really difficult, especially to kids who want that connection with the parent. And so if they are counting on baking with the parent, then that is something that they're looking forward to. So then when the parent doesn't, and I go back to the concepts around abandonment and attachment issues that we bring forth from childhood. And so then if the dad is not going to bake, the kid doesn't say, man, dad maybe was um, up all night, uh, I don't know, filling sandbags, helping a local flood victim stave off losing their home. Kid just feels like, okay, dad must not care about me because he's not down here when he said he would to bake. There's a couple of them that, again, not a couple of them, they all break my heart, but one, one person shared, that her uh, husband would remind her that she doesn't have to finish all the food on her plate. She said it was always subtle, and here she is as an adult. And she found out about him turning to pornography often as a coping mechanism. And she said that then became such a huge cut, especially when he then, instead of saying, yeah, that's not something that I'm proud of or that I want to do, but he said it's because her body wasn't attractive as it used to be. And she talked about in that scenario, she was several months postpartum after having another kid. And she said while searching then one time and looking on his phone, she saw Google searches on how to motivate my wife to lose weight. She said that he became so triggered by her facial expressions that she said, I started to wear a baseball hat before a potentially conflictual conversation so he couldn't see my eyebrows or my forehead. Or I would try really hard to make sure my face didn't express what I was feeling. She said, in over 20 years of marriage, he never missed a day of work for me. She gave birth to, they had a large number of kids. She had surgeries, COVID, but was never a priority. She said, I remember, and this is what I I really wanted to focus on on this comment. She said, I remember trying every possible way to communicate in a way that he would hear me. I thought if we talked after he was well-rested, if we had more sex, if he was prepped in advance, if I phrased it correctly. But again, she said, I never did find the right solution. And that goes back to the person earlier that talked about trying to figure out this puzzle piece of how to communicate, but knowing that unfortunately, when you're dealing with someone that is emotionally immature, has narcissistic traits and tendencies, and and they aren't doing their own work to self-confront, or they can't admit or accept the fact that they may not know what they do not know, then you're trying to find the way to fix this puzzle. And I feel like I should have some cool dramatic way to say, you don't even have half the pieces or the pieces you have are from a completely different puzzle. And so you're not going to be able to make sense of that. Some lady on one of the group calls one night said, it's trying to make sense out of nonsense. And I thought that was so well said. This person said, I'll give examples of how he's made me lose my drive and my passion for the things I'm truly passionate about. She said, I'm really crafty and creative. I love learning new crafts. First, it was painting, but then he would complain about my paintbrushes being left in the sink while I was done painting for the night. She said, I wasn't done with my painting, so I didn't want to put them away wet. 
and I still needed to finish painting, but he would never say that he liked my paintings when he would see me work hard on something. And I would say, well, what do you think? And he would respond with just a, oh, that's, it's okay. And just glance at it and then walk away. She said, I would just start to feel so annoyed or he would get upset if I wanted to paint while we watched a movie because I was supposed to do things and have all my attention focused on him. She said at one point she started learning things like macrame, needlepoint, and he consistently complained about all of the supplies being in the way. And she said, I just started to get such a sense of annoyance from him that then I started to not make him aware of the things that I liked to do. I went back to painting. And when he was getting annoyed about the brushes again, then he said, why don't you just go back to the macrame so you can maybe sell it and make money because that's what I think you need to do. So it can't just be something that raises her emotional baseline. Now it's what is in that for me? What's the benefit for me? Another person said quite often then, my narcissistic partner says I never support him in his passions. So she said, I have asked him over and over, what are the passions? Because I want to be supportive. And she said, all I ever hear are things like skiing, but I can't exactly support him in that because it is not winter all year round. And oftentimes he's working more during the winter. So one time he brought up a home brewing kit for Christmas. So she bought him that home brewing kit. And she said, of course, guess what? It is still sitting in storage. So she said that leads her often to feel like she doesn't have motivation for the things that really still matter to her. So she's trying to work on building that emotional baseline and focusing on herself a bit. But you can see that the unfortunate part is the more somebody wakes up to having their own awakening, that is they try to do the things that raise their emotional baseline. And when they lack that support from a spouse, or it's not even just the lack of support, but that spouse now goes on to then criticize the things that you're trying to do that is not okay. That is not a healthy, mature adult relationship. So those things can be really difficult. And again, cuts. I wanted to get to this. One of the women said, I just realized that if you look at something that you used to enjoy, that you used to do, or that you used to think you were good at and you no longer do, she said, that's probably where one of these cuts happen. And someone else chimed in and I thought this was so powerful. She said, I can think of many examples of that. She said, similar to that, my therapist recently gave me a list of positive traits and asked me which ones I thought I had. And she said, I was surprised to see how many times I wrote, I used to have that trait. So I, I would love to let that one just resonate. If there are things that you used to love to do and you no longer do, then maybe look for, is that where one of these thousand cuts happen? Because if you were encouraged or supported, that doesn't mean now that you're going to become a, a concert piano player, but it means that you will then accept the fact that you enjoy piano so that you can either then work on it more or now what's next? Because you're a human, we grow, we develop, we have different interests. And the more we feel like we are in a secure, attached relationship, or the more we feel a real sense of self, then it's it's absolutely enthralling and thrilling to start to explore other things that you maybe have always wanted to try. But if you're being put down as you try to even do the things that you already like, you can see that it will be almost impossible to try to venture out and try new things because you'll already be anticipating that rejection or that criticism. Okay, somebody listed a few here as well. They said, here's a few examples. When our last child was two, I initiated a conversation about whether we should have another child or be done. And his response was this. Do you remember what you're like when you're pregnant? Do you really want to put our family through that again? Do you think our kids can handle that for the next year? Well, I guess do whatever you want. You're the one that has to have the baby. And I don't even have to go over this again, but I would imagine that there are a lot of people that are hearing this that can resonate or identify with that. Another person said, every Christmas I do all the shopping and I treat my kids Christmas like a crazy puzzle where all four kids have the same amount of gifts and the same amount of practical or fun or big or small. 
And she said, every year I track the gifts in a spreadsheet that I ask my husband to look over and give me input if there's things that he thinks we could make changes on. And every Christmas Eve, she says, as we are putting the gifts under the tree, she said, it's inevitable till he hears, do you really think that this is enough? I mean, do you think that they're going to be excited about that? Or do you really think that they're going to like these things? So that one hit me deep. I remember having a conversation with my wife and talking about Christmas and we were having a similar one where she would try to balance the amount of gifts, the financial equality. And I like how this woman said this puzzle piece of how many big gifts and small gifts and fun. And I remember my initial response was very emotionally mature. And it was a, well, that doesn't matter. Or you don't need to do all of that before starting with the asking questions. Well, tell me about that. And I remember we were in Reno, Nevada for a Memorial Day basketball tournament talking about Christmas. And I remember walking around this, this lake area and having this conversation. And I, I feel like I will never forget it. But I really feel like that was a moment where I had to wake up to my own emotional immaturity and realize, man, why don't I stop and listen to what that experience is like? Because I am grateful for the work that she's doing in trying to make Christmas a positive experience for our kids. And yes, it was different than the Christmases I had growing up, but we had never really even had conversations around that. So I really appreciated that example. There's another one that a woman said that I hear this one often. She said, my husband's always telling me how busy he is. And that's why he doesn't have time to call home from his work trips or do things with us when he's at home or make use of some of his bonus benefits to travel with the family. And the busier he is, she said, then the busier I am as a parent. And one time I told some friends of how busy our family was and that we didn't have time to do some of the things that that family does. When my husband heard about this, he told me how ridiculous it was and how dumb I must have sounded to them because they have more kids than us. So obviously they are so much busier than us. Another person responded and said, I've now just realized it's all the small comments for me. I wasn't putting enough toothpaste on the kids' toothbrushes or I was putting too much syrup on the kids' pancakes. I shouldn't cut carrots on a cutting board. I should only do it on the counter so I didn't have to wash another dish and on and on and on. Someone else talked about being these passive aggressive comments. She said, I don't know if this is a, a narcissistic or emotionally immature trait or just verbal abuse. And I would say probably both. But she said, please share if applicable. She said, it's just a constant low-level complaint that's really hard to explain. And she gave some examples. Well, that shirt is pretty low-cut, don't you think? Or, oh, I see you have time for running, but not for me. She said, he doesn't actually make me change or force me to stop doing things like this, running, going to the gym, or change. But she said, it doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's just non-stop complaints or sarcastic comments that subtly try to control and repress me. She said, he usually says, I'm just joking or teasing is how I show love if I tell him to stop. And I feel like that alone, again, could another episode could be done on that, where someone's saying, I'm just joking, but if it is a way to get a dig in and then just joking, then we need to bring that up. That's something that needs to be addressed because that isn't a way to build connection. There are a lot of these that I feel like we could already do episode number four. One person talked about just once they were aware of these, of how many of these, she just said, it's just the thousand cuts. All the little things that broke me down over the course of the relationship. In essence, everything was, well, why are you wearing makeup today? You don't normally wear makeup. So who are you trying to impress? Or where are you going? Or who are you trying to see? Or why are you going to see that friend? Or you know that friend doesn't really like you, right? But then we'll then say, but also you don't have any friends and you need more friends. Or anytime that this person talked about expressing hurt feelings, then the the spouse would say things like, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Or that sounds like that's a problem uh, that you're having. Or if the person is texting someone or emailing someone or on the phone with someone, there's always a quick check-in and, and saying, are you guys talking about me? And it's really interesting when you look at it that way. 
Or if she says, if I didn't want to do something that he wanted me to do, then he would say, man, I bet you there are a lot of other relationships where, where women would just absolutely love to do this with me. And so those things she said, she just has so many of those examples where she just realized, wow, I just got to the point where she said, I just couldn't make my own decisions or I couldn't make sense of things. And I was trying to make sense of things and that that just, I started to feel frozen. Let me share one or two more. And then let me just tell you that, yes, there will be a part four. So please send in your examples of death by a thousand cuts. And I know that I pulled these from the women's Facebook group. I'm getting more and more uh, men that are saying, hey, what about me? I'm in an emotionally uh, immature relationship with my wife. And, and I am. I'm putting together uh, more and more of those examples and groups as well. So I please, I welcome your examples and I welcome um, your comments, your feedback as well. I really do. And I'm going to do something with a couple of different groups as I get more people that reach out and, and share their experiences. So one person said, when making a conversation, and at this point it was with her narcissistic ex about something I was particularly excited or nervous about that was pertaining to her job, she said he just sat there scrolling through his phone. And once I finished my thoughts, he just sat there in silence, still scrolling through his phone. And she said, I simply looked at him puzzled as to why he wasn't responding. And she said, he gave me a really dirty look and just shrugged his shoulders. And I just said, aren't you going to engage with me or respond? And in return, she said, all that he said was, well, did you ask me a question? If you want me to talk to you, then you need to ask me a question. And she said, I don't know about you, but when somebody is sharing their heart and their concerns with me, I'm engaging and I'm inquisitive about their thoughts and feelings. And she said he would routinely make me feel stupid as if nothing I had to say ever would be worth him even looking up from his phone. Okay, one more, I promise. This person said... He constantly says, you set me up for failure about so many things. An example being that if I leave to do things on my own and he has the kids and I'm going to run an errand, that if I didn't set the diapers out or the wipes out and he does know where they are, or if I didn't change the baby before I left, or if their tablets weren't charged, or if I didn't have their pajamas set out or their clothing set aside, even though, again, as the father, he knows where these things are then I have apparently set him up for failure. Or another example could be he's late for work because I did the laundry and I hadn't put the laundry away yet, so he had to search for clothes. So him being late was my fault. She said, those are just a couple of examples, but that vibe or that message of that I set him up for failure is pretty consistent. This is the third time I say finally. But she also shared that when she gets sick, he acts like I'm faking it. And this is another one of those that I hear so often. She said, even if I'm on the bathroom floor and all night crying, or if I'm puking or have a migraine, that he always says that blaming that sickness on saying, well, you shouldn't have overdone yourself. You shouldn't have eaten the things you did. You shouldn't have done this. And so then treats me bad when I'm sick. But she said, I was so sick recently that I was just so angry and I was frustrated and I, I just asked, is there any way you can go down and get me water? He got the water and then he demanded that I lay on my stomach. And then when I said, I can't, he said, well, you never take my advice. So then why am I going to even try to help? And he went back to sleep. But she ended up having to call a friend who did have to drive her to the hospital. And when she finally came back, he was a little bit nicer. But it shouldn't take those situations for then somebody to be nice. So again, if you have examples, please send them in. And for those that are starting to wake up to the emotional immaturity or the narcissism in their relationship, again, whether it's the husband or the wife, and I know it can be both, or it can be the adult, the parent, the adult children, whatever that looks like, just know that these a thousand cuts over time, you, you will bleed out and not trying to say that dramatically. But I think it's just to know that as each one of these occurs, to know that at some point, 
it, it, it is absolutely something that needs to be addressed. And if the person that you need to address it with is unable to self-confront or take a look in the mirror or take ownership of these things, then that doesn't mean that, well, you tried your best and it isn't going to work. This is part of that waking up to the emotional immaturity or the narcissism in the relationship. And as you wake up to that, then it, unfortunately, there's going to be a little bit of a time period where it may get difficult because you are starting to disrupt the dynamic. And that dynamic is one where this emotionally mature person can pick and poke at you in essence to make them feel better. And at some point that needs to change. And so when you start to stand up for yourself, this is where I say that when we start to become differentiated and interdependent, get ready for some invalidation. And that is where there's an opportunity for growth. And if your partner is not willing to take a look at that or to grow or to recognize that something needs to change in the relationship, then eventually I feel like your body is going to keep the score. It is going to continually look for ways to say, we can't do this anymore, whether it's physical health, physical pain, whether it becomes just an emotional disconnect and starting to look for a connection with others. And it doesn't mean that this has to be infidelity, but it could be just connection with anyone that is not the person that you initially desired to have this connection with, meaning your spouse. But that that's all part of this process of waking up to this emotional immaturity or narcissism. And that is okay for you to have your own desires, your own hopes, your own dreams. And being in a relationship where someone doesn't nurture those is not a viable relationship. All right. So feel free to reach out to me if you have additional questions, examples, comments, if you're interested in being in the women's Facebook group, or if you're somebody that's starting to wake up to your own emotional immaturity or narcissistic traits or tendencies. I'm getting closer to having a group ready for that. Or if you're a, a guy that is in a relationship with an emotionally immature woman, then please reach out there as well. And we're going to have a group for you soon as well. All right, everybody, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on Waking Up to Narcissism.